Hello and welcome to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm Dinah Jansen. In this program, the CFRC Campus News Team welcomes new guests from the Queen's University community and covers news, issues, upcoming and recent events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's University students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Welcome and enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. In our first segment, CFRC Campus News Liaison Erica Singh welcomes a student guest to discuss a new initiative and covers recent campus news headlines. Over to Erica. Hello, my name is Erica Singh, and welcome to your campus news. Today, I am joined in studio with Amy Simcoe, who is here to share an exciting new opportunity. Hi, Amy. How are you? Hey, Erica. I'm doing great. That's amazing. So, can you please talk a little bit about what you're here to share? Yeah, for sure. So today I am here to talk about the Queen Social Impact Association's Weekend for Social Impact. It is going to be a really awesome weekend, December 1st and 2nd, where you get to learn a lot more about social impact as a career and the club itself. And can you please share a little bit about Queen Social Impact Association or QSIA? For sure. So founded in 2007, Queen Social Impact Association is a student-run club under the Commerce Society and AMS. Our predominant objective is to facilitate student involvement in the nonprofit and social impact sectors. And yeah. All right. And um, what is the Weekend for Social Impact? For sure. So on our Weekend for Social Impact, uh, we have a really, really packed schedule for you all. So we're focused on giving students the tools they need to explore an impact-related career, and there will be panel discussions, networking with over 10 companies, workshops, a case competition, and food provided for breakfast, lunch, and two dinners. Oh, and not to mention, we have keynote speaker Gavin Thompson, the Senior Vice President of Corporate Citizenship for Canada Goose, as well as a really fun workshop planned with the Kingston Propel Impact Fund about impact investing. And is the Weekend for Social Impact open to all faculties? It is. Anyone can sign up. Um, Applications are now open and they close by the end of the day, November 25th. Um, To sign up, you just go to comsoc.ca, sign in with your student number and net ID, click the events tab, which will bring you to our registration page. You can also find the link on our Instagram bio at Q Social Impact Association. And when is the conference running? Yeah, so conference is running December 1st and 2nd. All right, thank you so much, Amy, for coming in and sharing this exciting new opportunity. Thanks so much, Erica. This is great. All right, get those apps in by November 25th. Now here are some campus news headlines. The Government of Canada has pledged $248 million to appoint 34 new Canada Excellence Research Chairs, or CERC across 18 post-secondary institutions, including Queen's. Dr. Paul Cubes has been named the Canada Excellence Research Chair in Immunophysiology and Immunotherapy at Queen's Health Sciences and the Queen's Cancer Research Institute, receiving $8 million over eight years for his research. The CERC program, which was initiated in 2008, supports Canadian universities in advancing global research and innovation by awarding prestigious researchers $8 million or $4 million to establish programs. 
Minister Francois Philippe Champagne emphasizes the lasting impact on academia, the economy, and society. Positioning Canada as a global research leader, Dr. Cubes will join Queen's in spring 2024 and will conduct interdisciplinary research in cancer infection and chronic disease, aiming to make a more meaningful impact on patient lives. Next, Student Wellness Services has introduced and expanded several initiatives to address the evolving needs of the campus community. The initiatives aim to enhance accessibility to various forms of care and support, promoting personal and academic thriving. Notable programs include a daily mental health walk-in clinic, which runs from Monday to Friday from 1 to 4 p.m. This will supplement existing counseling services. This aims to increase access to in-person mental health counseling and early feedback indicates reduced student distress. There's also a trans care team. The SWS has established a team specializing in gender-affirming care, providing holistic support to students at any stage of a transition. An online self-referral tool has been created to facilitate appointment scheduling without the need for a call. Enhanced support for academic accommodations. Queen Student Accessibility Services, or QSAS, has introduced daily drop-in appointments for students with quick questions. Advisors are now portfolio-based by faculty or discipline, aiming to enhance collaborations to write quicker and more holistic responses to student needs in the classroom. That's all for Campus News today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Erica. Earlier this fall, Dr. Jane Philpot, Dean of Queen's Health Sciences and Dr. Anthony Sanfilippo, Professor of Medicine Cardiology, published a groundbreaking article in The Conversation. In it, they addressed the family doctor shortage across Canada and the new role medical education reform can play to mitigate the shortage. In particular, a new program they have collaborated in developing called the Queen's Lake Ridge Health MD Family Medicine Program, which focuses training and education on comprehensive of community-based family medicine from the start of medical school, then advancing directly to residency. We caught up with Drs. Philpot and Sanfilippo to discuss the issues and this landmark program. Welcome, Jane and Tony, to CFRC's Campus Beat. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. So uh, tell us about yourselves and your work in health sciences at Queen's University. Jane, may we start with you? Well, thank you. Uh, so my name is Jane Philpot, and I'm the Dean of the Faculty of Health Sciences at Queen's University, and also the Director of the School of Medicine. I'm a family doctor myself. Uh, and I also, just to round it right out, I'm also the CEO of something called the Southeastern Ontario Academic Medical Organization, which represents over 400 doctors working in the Kingston community. Wow. And Tony? So I'm, I'm a I've been a Queens a long time. I'm a Queens grad. Um, I um, uh, trained in the States for a while, and I've been back here at Queens uh, for well over 30 years. And, and I've been teaching in the medical school during that time and practicing uh, in the hospitals and in the community. Uh, for the last um, the, the 15, uh, up until last year, I was the associate dean for the undergrad medical program uh, for the MD program. I finished that role. And, and then uh, uh, Jane asked me to, to take on a role uh, looking at uh, expansion of our medical school and new programming, and particularly uh, to center that programming on family medicine and uh, in the Lake Ridge uh, campus, which is uh, uh, in Durham region, which is uh, west of here, 
uh, in uh, an area around Oshawa that we've been uh, affiliated with for many years and uh, presented a great opportunity to develop a, a, a new and innovative program. And we wanted to devote that to this uh, critical problem we have in Canada of uh, family doctor shortage. Yes, let's dive right in. Tell us more about the issues associated with family doctor shortages, not only right here in Kingston, but also across Canada. So you're quite right. This is a, a very serious problem here in the Kingston uh, community, but it is a nationwide problem. Uh, here in Kingston, somewhere between 20 and 30,000 people don't have a family doctor or any other primary care provider, such as a nurse practitioner. Uh, across the country, it's now estimated that something in the order of six and a half million people don't have uh, access to primary care. Um, uh, the Ontario version of that is, is well over two million. And with the number of family doctors that are retiring, it's going to soon be three or four million people in Ontario. So it's a it's it's a, a crisis proportions. And the problem is if people don't have access to a family doctor, they're not getting their preventive care done. Babies aren't getting their vaccinations and checkups along the way, people who have chronic diseases like diabetes or, or heart problems are not able to go to that family doctor or, or nurse practitioner to get their checkups. So uh, it, is, uh, it is a problem that has reached a proportion where uh, many things have to be done. And certainly medical schools are one of the places that have a responsibility to respond. Tony? Yeah, I mean, it, it's truly a crisis. And, and um, it, it may be hard for your listeners to um, to fully appreciate it because you know most of them I imagine are young healthy people right uh, but but uh, for folks who've got health problems uh, and uh, are older or who are you know, don't have resources you know don't have easy resources to 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 get health care um, they're really they're really uh, on their own um, without a family doctor a family doctor is the foundation of the medical care system. It links uh, folks in their day-to-day lives to the many services that are available, but not easily accessible uh, in, in, our, in our country. Without that, uh, folks are on their own, you know, trying to find uh, care. And, and they're, they're finding it in all kinds of different ways. You know, they're going to emergency departments with things that um, they, they would normally see a family doctor about. Uh, they're going later because they're they're letting things go, um, so they're showing up with much more advanced disease than they would have, and therefore uh, have worse outcomes and and need more time in hospital or whatever. Um, you know, babies are being discharged from hospital without a family doctor. Um, I mean, it's 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 astounding to think about that in Canada, you know, where we pride ourselves in our healthcare system. We are sending newborn babies home without any access, any, any direct access, because their fa- their parents don't have family doctors, right? So, so vaccinations, well baby checks, you know, new parents need advice, they need help. Where do they get it? You know, if they're lucky to have relatives and stuff, you know, or or if they can purchase resources, but most most don't. Uh, so this is happening under our noses, and and frankly, uh, we're not paying enough attention to it as a as a medical community nor as a society. Thank you very much, both of you, for uh, contextualizing what is happening, uh, not only in Kingston, but across Canada related to family medicine. So why are there so few family doctors, not at, let alone emergency room doctors, and, and as well as other areas of specialty, but specifically family doctors? 
what's happening? Where are they all going? Where have they gone? The the answer to that is a actually a long list of factors. So there's not a single uh, factor that explains the whole thing. Uh, part of it is the, uh, the the pull factors are not working well, so that it's not uh, currently seen as an attractive profession by a lot of people because it's such a difficult job to be able to be a comprehensive family doctor, to know everything about, at least enough about uh, the whole range of medical conditions that you'll be able to address them appropriately. Um, family doctors are uh, often burned out by the very heavy uh, caseloads that they have, as well as the heavy administrative burden. But the part that relates to our conversation here is that there's something about what we're doing in medical school that is disincentivizing them or discouraging them from choosing family medicine. And in fact, in the last decade, every single year, fewer and fewer of our medical school graduates, not just here in Kingston, but across uh, across the country are choosing family medicine as their first choice. So uh, that's where Tony's vision came in because he watched over the MD program here in 15 years and, and saw this happening in, in before his eyes and realized that there's something that we're doing or not doing uh, when we're, we're working with these medical students about the way we're choosing them, what we're saying to them, the time that you we're spending with them. And uh, Tony came up with a great way to, to respond. So I'll, I'll pass it over to him. Yes, please, Tony. Well, um, you know, I think you can divide, as Jane says, quite absolutely true. There are multiple things here, right? You can't put your finger on one little button and, and change it all. But I think you can bundle them into two categories. I mean, one is what I'll call environment. You know, the the environment in which family doctors practice is is, is not is not conducive to their practice, right? Um, uh, it, it's and there's all kinds of factors there. I mean, they're burdened with paperwork. Uh, the expectations are, are are expanding. The ability to get uh, consultative help is is diminishing. Their their administrative burdens are huge. They have to you know be office managers. They have to be business people. There are all mm -hmm. kinds of things about the environment of family medicine uh, that are are not have not taken into account the, the the growing needs of family medicine and the way that that family medicine and primary care needs to be provided. But but then there's what I call I call the pipeline issues and 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 the pipeline for for doctors in our our country. Um, runs the same way as it did when when Jane and I were aspiring students wanting to get into medical school a generation ago, right? Um, it's it's one track, okay? It's, it starts with a single track. And yet, because back then, everybody, you know, everybody who went into medicine became essentially a family doctor, right? That was how you practiced. And then specialty started to occur and people branched out. Well, the world's changed dramatically, there are now like over a hundred different kinds of doctors and they vary from, you know, family doctors who provide this critical community-based care in small communities to, to, you know, to doctors who, who confine their practice to very, very specific, but necessary things. Right. And yet we're training them all and we're selecting them all in the same way that we did 50 years ago. Right. Where we have one access, which is a university-based MD program that then branches off eventually into a hundred different specialties. Uh, so how can you expect a single admission process and a single four-year or three-year program to adequately address all those issues? And family medicine is one now of a hundred 
different kinds of, of doctors that we have to provide. Mm-hmm. Does it make any sense anymore to expect that, and, and you know, it's absolutely natural that they're going to be crowded out and that we're not going to be selecting necessarily the kind of folks who are going to do those sort of practices if we're trying to also select people who are going to, you know, take care of the, you know, of, of your, you know, of your shoulder joint when it falls, you know, I mean, they're different practice, they're different people, they're different practices, and we've got to start tailoring our medical education and selection process to the reality of, of current med- medical care. Thank you so much. And now, your recent article in The Conversation, the online magazine, spells out quite clearly that specialized medical education programs can help fill uh, critical gaps in access to family doctors for Canadians. Uh, let's dig in a little bit more about the crux of the article itself and and telling us more about the Queen's Lake Ridge Health MD Family Medicine Program, its inspirations and ultimate goals, as you've introduced in the conversation. Well, well, well the concept is to um, b- begin to address that 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 pipeline issue and that issue of selection. Right. So so it starts with the concept that um, we will. Uh, be much more likely uh, to to be able to identify and train people uh, who do these critical practices of continuing comprehensive medical care uh, if we select people for, from the who who have that in mind to begin with, right? Who, who have that interest and who have some attributes that we believe um, are are consistent with that sort of career. We want folks. We're not going to do the just do these jobs. We want people who are going to flourish in these jobs, who 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 want to do it, who love to do it, you know. And that and that's a different mentality in admissions than we currently undertake with the general admission. It's very different. Um, we can talk about that a lot if you like. Um, the the other concept is that we should be training people to purpose, right? Uh, we should be using these t- the, this time that we have in medical school, you know, not not to give them. And, uh, you know, a, a selection of careers, you know, like, like, a, like a huge buffet to select from, but focus on what they're going to do and train them in the place they're going to do it, right? Um, you know, you can't train someone to be a community-based family doctor in a small community in, in a downtown big urban center. It, it, it doesn't work, right? Uh, you can train some things. You can certainly learn a lot. But if you're going to train people in those practices, you need to train them in those practices. And they need to be trained and mentored by people who are actually doing that work, right? And and right now, medical school is, you know, largely staffed by by specialists, right? By by sub sub specialists, highly refined specialists who are great teachers and all that kind of stuff, but they're they're not modeling the career that these kind of folks are going to want to do. So this program is intended to change the admission process, change the curriculum. And change the environment of the curriculum. Change, change where it's happening, and prepare people specifically for these kind of practices. And prepare people who are who want to do that from the start. Jane, well, we are really proud of this program, and I have to say, uh, Tony is a huge part of the inspiration for this. It's an idea that he came up with and came to me 
uh, to tell me about. And I could see right from the first time he described it, that this was a brilliant idea that no one else, I don't know if anyone else had thought about it, but certainly no one else has tried to do this yet. So we're really proud that Queen's University is the, the first, uh, but it won't be the last medical school to, to uh, proceed with this innovation. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Tony's described it really well. It's, it's about selecting that, that phenotype of student who dreams right from the beginning of being a comprehensive general practitioner, family doctor, um, and then, you know, embedding them and surrounding them with the beauty of family medicine. It's a wonderful career. I, you know, I've been a family doctor for almost 40 years now. It's an absolutely incredible privilege to be a family doctor. Um, but if they are not hearing that message regularly, and as Tony said, they're being presented with a hundred different subspecialties that they can choose from, it's not surprising that they they select from across all of those many specialties. But by being able to embed them in this focus, get them right from the start into this program where they're learning in family practices. And of course, the other thing that was a real um, clincher to this, well, two other things that were, were that clinched the ability to do this. One was that Lake Ridge Health, our partners, our uh, care delivery partners in the Durham region wanted to grow our relationship with them and, and enthusiastically embrace this idea. And then the the third uh, uh, great thing that happened was that we were offered more seats in our medical school. So it really was a perfect alignment of opportunities. The idea was there, the partnership was there, and the new seats were there. And we put them all together and designed this program. And our first students started in September. Thank you so much. And now I think, if I'm correct, one of the uh, key or the key argument uh, made in your conversation article is that ultimately to address the issues related to the shortages of family doctors in our communities across Canada is educational reform. So if we can if we can talk about the, your new program in the context of serving as a model for other regions, including city centers, rural areas, and of course, northern and indigenous communities. Can we learn more from you about that, Tony? So um, the reform that we're talking about um, is is not to discard um everything about medical education right i mean most of you know much of our curriculum is based on uh students learning about how the human body works how it's put together uh what goes wrong um and, and giving them you know a foundation in understanding uh health communication with people uh with how to engage people with illnesses how to examine people all that's foundational and that's that that's the same for every doctor right so we're we're, we're certainly not uh, wanting to to change the fundamental values of medical education and the fundamental concept of patient interaction, patient contact, but but the focus mm-hmm. of 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 uh, how you apply those fundamentals is vastly different uh, in different specialties. Okay, um, and and what we want to do is very early on for these students who are learning family medicine or. You know, if we extend this, students who are learning going to learn other aspects of medicine. We want to contextualize that learning uh, in the in, in the practice that they're going to eventually engage. Okay, so we want to teach them mm-hmm. that you know we're, we're teaching you about you know how the heart works, and and here's why we're teaching you about how the heart works because you're going to see people with this kind of thing that happens. 
So we want to provide context for the education through real patient contacts and through stories about patients that are going to simulate what they're going to see. And as far as we can, do it in the environment in which they're going to see it. So in the case of this Lakeridge program, just to give you an example of how that plays out, the students are very early going to be doing community placements, okay? Now, normally in medical school, those community placements come later on, you know, um, after students have learned all the fundamentals. We, we want to turn that around a little bit and put them into the clinical setting early on, uh, even as soon as they have any skills, uh, you know, start to develop skills so that they can begin to understand um, not just what the disease process is and how the, but, but the person who has it and how they come to see them. We, we want them to understand the patient perspective and the practice perspective as they're learning the skills and, and grow into it. So early on, they might not be able to do very much, but if they're doing it in a family medicine practice in a smaller community, they'll see how it works. They'll see the relevancy. And then when they go back to the books and read about you know, heart failure or diabetes, They'll say, yeah, I, I, they can contextualize that with Mrs. Smith or, or, or Mr. Brown that they saw. Um, and, and it will have relevance to them. And it gets exciting. I got to tell you that as a learner, um, when, when you can uh, see how your learning impacts the health of someone and you can actually help somebody, um, it's, it's, it's way beyond the abstract then, right? It has a realness to it. It's, you have a hunger for that learning. And, and I think the students in these contexts are going to engage their learning in a fundamentally different way. Jane, can we hear from you? Well, I would just add, I mean, we could talk about the, the educational reform that's part of this uh, for a long time. But one of the features that I loved, and this is, you know, this is a, a, a major modification of our current MD program, as Tony says, still, you know, they will graduate as fully, uh, fully licensed medical doctors, just like anybody else. But it has really been designed in a very special way. And one of the things that's happened is that uh, they're, they're teaching in modules that go through the life cycle. So there's a whole module around early childhood and, and yeah, pregnancy and, and newborn care. And uh, then there's another module on the, you know, the young adult and the kinds of things that you have to think about there. And of course, the older adult. So they're looking at people in those contexts of real life. But what I was really thrilled to hear is that the case studies that the students will be learning from are actually built based on cases in Durham region. So we put out a call for family doctors to be part of the teaching. We thought we'd get a few family doctors apply to become our teachers. We had 50 applicants. It was unbelievable how many people wanted to be part of this. And the ones who were chosen um, are so enthusiastic and they came with you with real life stories in their head about a patient that they knew in the city of Whitby or in Ajax or Pickering. And they said, this is what their real life is like. And, and their mom and their kids and their uncle and that, you know, telling these stories, obviously keeping the private details of who this person was, but, but with those real life situations in hand so that the students could, like Tony said, they could imagine them. They might even see them someday. Um, and so that they're starting to say, I really have to learn what how I would treat this person and they're getting real problems um, to work with and to be able to understand medicine and the human body in the context of those very challenging real life environments so it's a fascinating mm -hmm. curriculum I 
kind of would love to go back and do it all over myself and enjoy this curriculum. Um, so with that, uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts now um, related to Karen Paul's September 21st article in CBC, uh, on CBC News, which uh, concer uh, had concerns related to the College of Family Physicians of Canada and its intended rollout of a three-year residency program for family medicine beginning in 2027. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the increase on residential time for family doctors from currently two to three years at a time where our population, particularly with the baby boomers aging uh, and the unprecedented levels of concern related to addiction and mental health amidst everyday care for individuals and families. What are your thoughts on the increase of this time from two to three years? while your program is also uh, seeking to reform the, the family medicine system itself? Uh, so you're absolutely right. This is a very live question in medical education circles right now. And I'm not sure I, that we want to dive into the whole story, but maybe as it relates specifically to Lake Ridge Health, it's the best way to frame this because you're right. There's been a, the College of Family Physicians is very interested in, in expanding the length of training. Um, there, this was even discussed last week at the federal provincial ministers of health meeting. And I, I gather it wasn't necessarily enthusiastically received by the provincial ministers of health. So without sort of commenting in, in a lot of detail on that, what the advantage that our, that this Lakeridge health program has is that we are basically putting together what was always four years of, of the regular MD program and two years of a family residency pro, medicine residency program, the students actually can move seamlessly from the MD program to the family medicine residency without having to enter a match. But in fact, they will actually be able to start taking on some of the curriculum and the competency-based training that would normally be in a residency program earlier and actually overlap it somewhat. So in a sense, what we're going to be able to do is take four years of MD and what would be equivalent to three years of a family medicine residency and accomplish four plus three equals six. Um, we don't think it actually, in this case of this program, needs to be any longer than, than six years total. But what we've done is freed up time in the curriculum, some of the time that they spend in their third and fourth years uh, exploring other specialty areas and start training them as family doctors again, right from the beginning. So um, I think this is actually a really eloquent solution to the challenge of trying to get more time for family medicine, rather than adding it on at the end, it actually tucks it in the early learnings of becoming a family doctor are tucked in throughout the four years of medical school so that they've actually got um, the, they will, would be able to graduate with the, uh, the equivalency of, of a three-year residency. Uh, Tony can probably explain that better. Uh, Tony. Well, that, that, that's right. I mean, uh, basically the current paradigm is, is a usually four-year uh, undergraduate program leading to an MD degree and then entering into a family medicine program. Now, those are two separate entities and two separate governances too, right? The MD program is run by universities the, the the family medicine program uh, is overseen largely by the college colleges, right? And in this case, the College of Family Medicine, and and the College of Family Medicine was finding that um, the two year period was insufficient uh, to, and I'm presuming, was insufficient to prepare people adequately for those careers. 
right? Uh, and so the proposal to go to three is to help people uh, develop that further. But as Jane said, this this is a six-year program that's integrated, right? It's not just in the medical school and it's not just uh, in residency. We see it as an integrated continuum. And I can tell you for absolute for sure that there's at least a, a whole year of undergraduate four-year program that's devoted to just career selection that, that these students won't need to do, right? Uh, and, and so we can be um, doing, we can be beginning their, what would be their residency training much earlier. And so they will be at that fourth, fifth year uh, with, with much more background. So, so uh, I think we can absolutely confidently say that the goals, the ultimate goals of, of the program can be achieved in those six years. Um, uh, and, and even if they expand over the next while, they can be achieved in those six years because the training is focused right on, on, on that particular purpose. Um, so, you know, notwithstanding the arguments that are brewing out there, uh, I think that within this program, um, the design is such that we can accommodate the, uh, the, the, the needs that led to that decision. And I think in fact, the, the, the need to, to go to a three-year program under, actually underscores the need for this kind of educational reform. You know, if we can't do that in seven years with the brightest kids in the country, there is a problem, <laughs> you know, and it's not the kids, it's not the students. You know, I, I think we need to rethink the program. Uh, before we close, I'd, I'd actually like to hear from you about uh, our own community a little bit more too, if we, if you might indulge me for a few moments. Recently, in the like the last year, the Kingston subreddit page it carries posts almost on a daily basis now of people desperately seeking medical supervision in Kingston after learning their family doctor is either retiring or leaving town. Uh, while the subreddit also indicates there's uh, only apparently one walk-in clinic in our community currently running. For our listeners out there, how are people going to uh, get medical support in Kingston and what advice do you have for them? I do advise people to get on a waiting list. There is a waiting list called Healthcare Connect and people should add their names there, uh, even though it's a very long list at the moment. But we are actively working and have been working for more than a year on trying to get funding for uh, new clinics, new primary care clinics in town. In fact, we have a proposal that's been sitting on the desk of the Minister of Health for a very long time now uh, to open a new sites that will be home to 10,000 patients who don't currently have a family doctor or, or any other primary care provider. Um, I keep hoping one of these days we will get the good news uh, that it is uh, funded, but there's certainly no shortage of desire amongst partners in the community, whether that's hospital partners, Queen's University, SEMO, the local community health center, the public health, the city of Kingston, we've all been working together on this. Um, the province has indicated that they will soon be announcing funding for new primary care teams. And uh, the minutes that that is, is approved, we will, we, you'll, you'll hear us shouting throughout the streets uh, that we've got a new ability and we've, we've got a plan for recruitment for that facility. So this is something that I think needs to be um, near the very top priorities of government is to develop team-based primary care, uh, you know, 
Dinah, the, the questions that you've asked, we could each one of them do an entire day-long seminar on, but but the, the, the solution to the primary care crisis is not just family doctors, it's team-based care. Um, we need to share the workload with nurse practitioners, physician assistants, uh, uh, registered nurses, et cetera. Um, there is a whole range of uh, people that can work together to be more effective and to be able to care for people in the community. Thank you. Anything to add there, Tony? You know, there's there's bills we need to put in place for sure. And 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 what Jane's talking about is addressing those. I think what you're asking is, you know, what what advice can you give to the, the person at home who's got this concern every day? And, and I think practically speaking, um, number one, get on any list you can find. Okay. So the the public list, if if your local health team has got a list, get on that list, right? Uh, if you're if if um, if you have connections to a physician in some, some type or other uh, because of consultancy or other issues, uh, don't hesitate to, and, I'm, and people are going to kill me for this, but, but don't hesitate to ask them for help, right? Um, they're, they're, these are good folks who are willing to help if they can. Um, th thirdly, um, uh, there are phone uh, systems that you can call in uh, to get help about acute problems. Use them, you know? Uh, I mean, there are, there are nurses or doctors on the other end of those phones who I know you don't know, but they, they know things and can at least get, provide some guidance. For those with means, there are ways to to to, to purchase services. I, I don't think that's a great idea, but it's there and, and uh, it's available to some. I think the walk-in clinics are still there, right? And I know there aren't mm -hmm. as many, but they're there and they can be used. And finally, the last thing I would say is, is don't ignore a problem, okay? I know it's hard, but, but if you've got, you know, uh, pains not going away or a, a, a big concern. Um, waiting longer just makes it worse. Um, so, you know, don't defer, uh, get, you know, go, go to emerge if you have to go to emerge. Um, and I know nobody likes the idea and, and I know the waits are long, uh, but, but deferring a problem uh, makes a small problem, a big problem potentially. Thank you for that sage advice and your sage advice as well, Jane. And now last words uh, specifically directed towards any of our Queen students that might be listening right now who are thinking about careers in medicine and family medicine. Do you have any advice for them as they finish school and think about what their future pathway may be? Jane. Well, we have fabulous students here at Queen's University, and I encourage people to be sure that they explore the whole range of health professions. Uh, you know, you happen to be talking to a family doctor and a cardiologist today. There are all kinds of extremely satisfying careers in the health professions, uh, all kinds of specialties within medicine, but we also have a wonderful school of nursing, a school of rehabilitation therapy to train physiotherapists and occupational therapists. We have a, a public health sciences department here that trains the public health specialists and even to think about careers in research. So I would just, my, my one piece of advice would be if you're interested in human health and helping people to be well, uh, have a broad open mind about what that can look like. There are uh, an unlimited number of ways that you can serve your community uh, and help people to be well. And last words from you, Tony. Well, you know, I've been, we've both been doctors for a long, long time and we're it's hard to stop. <laughs> you know, um, it's a great career uh, and it's a great career because um, 
uh, your ability to interact with the, the, the variety of humanity who provide some assistance here and there uh, is one of the most rewarding things that you can do in life. Um, and if, if that concept of, of, of contributing to, to the health of others and to society more broadly is fundamentally what's driving you in life, then medicine is a place to go. Um, um, but, and, and, and family medicine uh, is really the distillation of, of, that, uh, of that concept because family doctors engage people that come in the door with whatever problem they have uh, wh whenever it's troubling them. Um, they, they don't get filtered people. They get people as they come. And, and if, that, if, if connecting with people in their suffering and helping them through that um, is 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 a is 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 something you see of value and something that is exciting uh, and rewarding to you personally. We've got a job for you. Thank you so much, folks. We have been chatting with doctors Jane Philpot and Tony Sanfilippo all about education reform, the new program that they have developed in order to uh, make a shift in family medicine and filling some gaps across the country. And, uh, of course, some sage advice for our residents and students uh, thinking about careers in medicine, but also seeking ass medical assistance on the day-to-day -day basis. Thank you so much for joining us, Jane and Tony. We really do appreciate your time. Thanks. It's a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for listening to the Campus Beat broadcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of Smith Engineering. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can read Jane and Tony's recent article addressing the family doctor shortage at theconversation.com. We look forward to seeing you again next time. <laughs> <laughs>